0: There's different ways that a man abandons his family. Sometimes he just dies, but sometimes emotionally he's dead and distant, or he's overconsumed with work, or he's addicted to his hobbies, or he's just flat out freaking selfish.
1: And a woman needs, its studies show that she needs security. And that includes financially, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. Uh, spiritually. And, and when a man takes any of those um, from her, she's feeling vulnerable.
0: All right, well, howdy, Mark and Grace Driscoll, returning with The Real Marriage Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. We appreciate you. We're praying for you. And we have real hope from a real God to overcome real obstacles. And so we're we're in this great book of the Bible, babe, called Ruth. And uh, today we'll pick up the story where these three widowed women have to decide what their go forward plan is. Maybe if uh, you would for a moment, just kind of summarize what has happened in the story of Ruth up until this point to catch them up, what transpired before these ladies became widows?
1: They were living in Bethlehem and there was a famine. And so Elimelech, the husband, moved them to Moab. They were there for 10 years. And in that time frame, um, the two sons that were with them uh, married Moabite women. Elimelech died. The two sons died. And they're in a godless place. And so Naomi, the wife, and then the two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, are faced with a decision of what does it look like to go forward. What the heck do we
0: do now? Mm -hmm. I mean, so famine, tragedy, crisis, economic, political upheaval hits, family relocates to a godless cult, the boys marry the wrong girls, all the men die, total poverty, total disaster, worst case scenario, three women... Oh my gosh.
1: So One is saved, but bitter.
0: Her name is Naomi. She's going to change her name from Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet, to Mara, which means bitter. She literally goes into the Department of Motor Vehicles and says, (laughs) I need you to reissue my driver's license. I'm changing my Mm -hmm. name to Bitter Believer. Mm -hmm. So she's just ticked, frustrated. Uh, There's two other women and they get together and like, okay, what do we do now? Orpah, what does she decide to do?
1: She decides to stay in Moab.
0: I'm going to go back to the naughty people, stay with my cult, go back to my family, find a new husband, just stick with my old pagan, godless. But way Naomi
1: of life. encouraged both of them to stay and not go with her because she said, "I, am an old woman. I, I got well, nothing for you. Yeah, I don't have. I can't have sons right now and have them be of age. You know, I when got you got no want job, to, I got mm-hmm.
0: no nothing. And so then um, Naomi, Mara, the bitter believer. What does she decide to do?
1: She decides that she's going to go back to Bethlehem, where they came from.
0: She's going back to God's presence and God's people. She's lived away from God's presence and people for 10 years.
1: And she heard that the famine was lifting.
0: She, yeah, but God's being gracious. Hey, they found a cure and now there's a vaccine and mm-hmm. the economy's <laughs> back open and you could take your mask off and mm-hmm. it's safe to come back to Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but 10 years, she's not been in church or with God's people. Is she still a believer?
1: Yes, but she seems to be bitter against God um, for the situation that she's in. So she's blaming God? Instead of her husband who didn't lead her, yes.
0: How many women do this? Their husband really is the one who shipwrecks the family and then they get angry at God.
1: A lot, because it's easier to blame God because then you don't have to deal with complaining at your husband.
0: (laughs) And especially if he's dead, you can't really... (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, you feel bad doing that for sure. But yeah, I think it's easy to blame God for things and not see the reality of what happened and how Elimelech made a very poor, ungodly decision of running in fear with his family. And they are now facing the full consequences of that.
0: How many men do this, though? They make really bad decisions and then they die and they leave the wife and the kids, and sometimes the grandkids, to pick up the mess. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, it's like his life is a circus. And now here are women with shovels just walking around the big tent, just picking up the mess that he's left.
1: Or if he moves there for a great job opportunity that isn't what the Lord is asking of him, but he may not die physically, but maybe he gets so emotionally into his work that then his family's left desolate emotionally. So there's different, so I think you bring a great point. There,
0: there's different ways that a man abandons his family. Sometimes mm-hmm. he just dies, but sometimes emotionally he's dead and distant, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or yeah. he's overconsumed with work, or he's addicted to his hobbies, or he's just flat out freaking selfish.
1: And a woman needs, It's studies show that she needs security, and that includes financially, emotionally, relationally. Spiritually. Um, spiritually, and, and when a man takes, any of those um, from her, she's feeling vulnerable.
0: So these three gals, crisis hits, all three of them had a bad husband. And so, you know, the story of Ruth going forward is going to be a second marriage, a remarriage, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Because mm-hmm. sometimes if you're divorced and remarried in the church, or or if you're just remarried in the church, there's this massive stigma and shame. But one of the great love stories in the whole Bible is a second marriage. Mm-hmm.
1: I love that.
0: There's hope and redemption in that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I love that too, but we're not going to do that. No, Just, you know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to do that. <laughs> but there are women that do need to do that because of their previous circumstances lead to that. Yeah, And and it shows that God has grace for that. And I love that Ruth's decision, Naomi discouraged her from coming with her, but Ruth, uh, it appears, was a new believer. And it appears that she sees, even though Naomi is a bitter Christian, that seems better to her than staying in the situation in Moab Moab with non-Christians.
0: So ideally you'd have like a healthy, mature, joy-filled, spirit filled (laughs) you know, believer friend. But if you got to choose between the bad, bitter believer and the unbeliever, pick the bad, bitter believer, at least they're the believer.
1: There's hope because Jesus is in it somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But how many of us, when crisis, tragedy, especially in marriage happens, we feel like, God, I just wish I had better people to walk with. She had one who changed her legal name to Bitter. Bitter. Yeah. I mean, that's rough, man. She's a tough little cookie. (laughs) Yeah, she is. Um, So there's the three gals. So Orpah decides, I'm going back, live as an unbeliever, back to my crazy, you know, Vegas lifestyle, family, and cult. Naomi says, hey, I'm going to go to Bethlehem. I'm going to find God's people in presence. Even though I'm bitter, I got to get into God's presence. I got to be with God's people. And then uh, Ruth, she's the last one. She's got the big decision to make. What does she choose?
1: She chooses to go back with Naomi. And she says basically that your people are my people. Your God is my God. And I'm going to follow you um, because that's, that's what I believe I'm supposed to do, even though she was probably a new believer at the time. Brand new. She was willing to listen to God.
0: And so this is a gal, though, she's never been to church. She's never been to a Bible study. She's never met the other believers. Mm
1: -hmm. And she's following a mother-in-law. I don't, I mean, I don't know how many of us would say we could do that, (laughs) especially a bitter one. (laughs) Yeah, a
0: bitter mother-in-law. You're like, yeah, I'll just figure it out on my own. Thank you very, very much. (laughs) Um, but in that, Ruth is a tremendous demonstration of faith. Absolutely. When God came to Abraham and said, leave your family, leave your town, follow me, trust me for your future. We look at Abraham and we say, what faith?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ruth has the same kind and degree of faith. Mm-hmm. She has nothing and no one and she's going to a place that she has never been.
1: And she doesn't have much experience with God.
0: Not at all. Not at all. The examples she's had of believers are not great. Mm-hmm. And these are pretty crummy Christians yeah. she's surrounded with. But she decides, you know what? This is a, a, a principle that I, I wanna share with you. I wanna share with you. It comes from Dr. Henry Cloud. And you love his stuff mm-hmm. and you listen to his stuff yeah. all the time. Um, he wrote a book called Necessary Endings. Yeah. And what he says is for the good to start, the bad must end. And so they have been through a lot of bad and they're gonna end it. And have a new start. They're going to have a new beginning because they can't build on what they have. They can't build on living in Moab with a bunch of incestuous, pagan, demonic cult leaders. They can't build on total poverty and death and funerals and devastation. They can't build being away from God's people and presence. So they, they need to sort of call it. Mm-hmm. And there are times in life, if you ever watch those old uh, television shows, or maybe they still do it, they're doing CPR on somebody, you know, trying to save the life. And then at some point, the doctor or the medical professional reaches the point, they just say, I'm going to call it. And literally, they'll look at their watch, they'll stop the CPR and just say, time of death, Tuesday at 10, There are times in your life that you've got to stop doing CPR and you've just got to call the time of death. Mm-hmm. you just got to say, this ain't working. We're not doing this anymore. Yeah. This needs to end, and then we'll begin again with a new beginning.
1: And that happens in marriage all the time. So
0: talk about that. Share whatever's on your heart,
1: Yeah, I mean, we bring baggage into marriage, and sometimes we hold on to it even if it's not helping the marriage. It usually isn't if it's baggage. Um, Sometimes we hold on to it because it's all we know, but sometimes we need to just stop and say, let's restart. Let's just get rid of the junk from the past, let's either go to counseling, talk it through, repent, um, forgive, let's heal in whatever way we need to. And then let's start again with the same spouse, but kind of start again with a new foundation. If you're in a place in your marriage where you feel like you're at the end of the road and you can't go any further, let's stop and evaluate the reality. Did you start in a good place? Or did you start in a place of complete brokenness, maybe one of you or both of you? This is a story of a lot of brokenness, and it was done the wrong way. So it doesn't have to be the end. It can be a new beginning.
0: So for them, spouses die, so they they can't fix or work on or redeem the marriage. It would have been great if they would have all moved back to Bethlehem, but 10 years... The men never looked at the women and said, we need to—this isn't working. We need to find God's people. We need to find God's presence. They never—the men never made that decision. The women did. So the women demonstrate greater faith. But One of the things we say in the Real Marriage book is uh, there's a whole chapter, new marriage, same spouse. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are like, I need a new marriage. Well, you can get a new marriage with the same spouse. And what that means is you need to have the end of the bad and then a new beginning,
1: we had to do that as well. And we've had some things from our past that we've had to allow God to dig up, face them, heal from them, and then choose to move forward in newness.
0: So. I, mean, I don't want you to be too honest, but maybe <laughs> use, uh, maybe use some example because every relationship comes to these points of brokenness where the bad needs to end so that a new beginning can begin.
1: well, I mean, I had brokenness in my past from previous relationships, um both you know, family and someone I dated and yeah, so sexual
0: assault, and yeah.
1: And, and so that abuse, I didn't heal from it before coming into marriage and I didn't know I needed to because I actually didn't know it was abuse until later, until I was able to deal with the reality of it. Bringing that into marriage, it was a broken place in me and a hiding place for me. Um, I didn't uh, fully want to be known because I was in fear of, you know, those things that had happened to me getting exposed. And so living in that, it's, it's basically, there was a part of me that was um, not, I wasn't willing to engage and have you uh, participate in that area of my life because I was afraid. Um, And so learning how to both forgive the abuser and heal from and, and really focus on what my identity is, who God says I am rather than who the abuser says I am. Um, and really, um, allowing that place of, and grieving that Season of my life that happened to me, and then like these women had to grieve the loss, Mm -hmm. um, grieving that loss in that season of my life, and then moving forward, trusting that God was going to bring newness in that place and flourishing in our marriage from that. Um, And that was a process. There was a lot of things that had to take place in that, including some counseling and and some journaling and lots of in the Word time with the Lord, just really speaking over me through His Word and through trusting You. It built trust in our marriage um, for you to tenderly walk me through that season um, and build me back up. And so, yeah, the, I mean, these women, they dealt with probably abuse in their culture.
0: Oh, so honey, the, you just brought something I had not even previously thought of. The whole Moabite race was built on incest. Right. The whole Moabite religion was built on sexual sin yeah. and real deviancy done by men to women, including husbands, uh and fathers to their own daughters. Yeah. So the backstory of Orpah and Ruth is probably horrifying. Yeah. The Moabite people, this is why God told them, don't marry the Moabites. Because once you join those families, what they do to each other and what they do to your kids is catastrophic.
1: Yeah.
0: We tend to think, oh, God was being very bigoted and judgmental. It's like, no, that that whole family is a bunch of rapists and pedophiles. Don't marry them. Bad things happen. And don't have your kids at grandpa's house.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was being God was being protective. That by may be why he way.
0: didn't give them kids. They were married mm-hmm. ten years, never had children. Yeah. I never thought of it. Yeah. God may have closed the womb and said, "I love kids, and I'm not going to put kids in an environment where this is going to happen to them. I'm going to wait."
1: He preserved Ruth out of the Moabites because he saw her heart for him. But yeah, the kids didn't didn't come. So
0: how many people though? Now we're down a rabbit trail that we weren't expecting. How many people though? Their family of origins. It's just a disaster, and there's a lot of incest and sexual sin and abuse and weak men who are privately perverted, economic, non-provision, and a lot of the pain and brokenness comes to the women and children.
1: Yeah, I mean, one in four women report sexual abuse, and a lot of that is in family, one in six men.
0: And it's the most underreported crime. Yeah.
1: So it's, it's super common, sadly. So this is a common scenario that we're looking at in the Bible.
0: Well, and t- what we're seeing right now, too, even with closures and COVID and craziness and chaos, is domestic violence is up. Mm-hmm. Abuse of children is up. Sexual assault of children is up. Alcoholism, drug abuse, relapsing is up. Uh, the system is overwhelmed. Uh, CPS can't keep up. Child Proc- Protective Services. Uh, in many cities, the cops are not even showing up. And so what you're having right now, it just, it's like, we're all living in Moab. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. The families are under massive stress right now in the marriages.
0: And Mm self-destruction. And so how many people come out of sort of a Moabite family? Many of us do. Mm -hmm. And then you look at Ruth and by the time you get to the end of the book, uh, she loves the Lord. She marries a guy who loves the Lord. They give birth to a baby who becomes the grandfather of David, and she becomes part of the family line in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. We'll get there. Spoiler That's alert. miraculous. But to go from, you know, Moab to Messiah mm-hmm. is a miracle. Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely.
0: It's a, it's a beautiful story. And so we tend to look at the story of Ruth and Boaz as the great love story. First of all, it's the love story of God and Ruth, mm-hmm. and it's the love story of God and Boaz. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then God takes the two people who love him, and he brings them together to love each other. Yeah. And uh, for me, the necessary ending and the new beginning was I was just totally selfish. Get married, and I think, you know, I've got a beautiful, sweet wife, and I'm going to go charge hell with the ground and change the world. And my wife's just going to meet all my needs and be present, 100% focused on me. And then I come to find that some things have happened to you and that you need me to not be selfish, but to be a servant. Mm-hmm. And so we both needed to, sometimes you have a real funeral. Sometimes you just have a heart funeral.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You grieve it. And you say, I can't believe I was so selfish to my wife. And I can't believe that my wife was abused and I didn't know it. And you have to have the heart funeral. You need to call the time of death. The way we were doing things isn't going to continue. Things are going to we are going to stop now, yeah. and we're going to start something new. Yeah, And that's what happens with Ruth, Naomi, and Orpah. Orpah decides, I'm going back to my old way of life. Naomi says, I'm going to go find God's people and presence. And then, and then Ruth has to decide, what am I going to do? She says, as you well articulated in the great marriage verse that many people quoted in their marriage, "You know, your people will be my people, your God will be my God, and I'm going to go where you're going to go. So then they they make the 50-mile journey to uh Bethlehem. So just isn't it curious? Bethlehem
1: birthplace of Jesus.
0: the birthplace of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. And uh and Jesus obviously hadn't come yet, but Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Mm-hmm. And God's people, they fled Bethlehem because there was a famine, meaning there was no bread In in Bethlehem, which is the house of bread, which just means God can provide, Mm -hmm. but if you're disobedient, he won't. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes it's less about where you are and it's more about how obedient you are. So she decides, I'm going to go back to God's people, God's presence. So they make the 50 mile journey to Bethlehem, which is pretty precarious for two single women that are broke and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Um, Why do you think... That they're headed to Bethlehem. What do you think are the motivations for them to get to Bethlehem?
1: Well, Naomi says that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me, and I think she's realizing I just need to get back to what God wants, and I need to go back to God's people to figure out what that is and to help me. Um, she had no one. She had no head anymore. She had no, um, you know, leader head. She had no. Um, friends, there. She didn't have people speaking into her life, and I think her motivation was, "I'm bitter. I've lost." She said, "My, you know, I'm I'm empty. My hands are empty," um, and so she goes back to try and figure out, "Okay, at least this is where I know I can find wise counsel, church, community. You something. know, something. Something. It's better than where I'm at."
0: This is a woman who's broke. Mm-hmm. Buried her husband, mm-hmm. has been gone 10 years, so nobody knows if she's dead or alive. Yeah. She has no idea what kind of reception she's gonna get. Yeah. And what she says is, I'm gonna, I just need to get to church.
1: And she still sees God as the Almighty, even though she says he's, you know, put his hand, he, the Lord has gone out against me. So somehow in there, in her bitterness, in her 10 years of not being around God's people, she still knows that God is. Is providential and sovereign, and so she wants to figure out how and what that looks like, and and hear from him. She needs to hear from him.
0: So we like to say uh, is that the want to precedes the how to. Yeah. Some of you are going to listen to this podcast, and you're going to hear the how to, the how to, the how to, and it will do nothing because you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like it, you can meet with your personal trainer every day, but if you don't want to work out, you're not going to get healthy. Mm-hmm. Some of you, the problem is not information, it's obedience. Yeah, It's not that you, you don't need another podcast. You don't need another book. You don't need another seminar. You don't need another sermon. You need to take one step.
1: Mm-hmm. And trust God with the path forward. She didn't know what that was going to look like, but she knew that God was almighty and that somehow he was going to get her out of where she was.
0: But after 10 years, mm-hmm. the bitter believer says, I, I need to... I need to get to church. Mm-hmm. I need to find God's people, and I need to find God's presence. Yeah. And Ruth says, you know what? I don't even know what that means because I've never been to church, but I'm going to go with you.
1: Yeah,
0: It's amazing. If you have even been a backslidden, disobedient, lukewarm, half-hearted, reversible Jersey believer— and you turn your face toward God, God always has his face set toward you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And it's amazing that sometimes other hurting, broken people will follow you to church and follow you to God.
1: And they didn't know that there was marriage on the road ahead.
0: They had no idea what was -hmm. in the future. But what they did know is for the good to begin, the bad needed to end. Mm -hmm. They needed a necessary ending called the time of death. Then they had something that... uh, Henry Cloud calls a closure conversation. And that is that sometimes to move forward, you need to leave some people in your past. Orpa gets left in the past. <laughs> she doesn't go with them. They have a final conversation with her. They weep. They love her. It's not bitter. Um, but it is over.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And the closure conversation is, you know what? I'm not going to be your friend anymore. Uh, you are not going to speak into our marriage. Um, Yes, you are related to us, <clears throat> but we are taking our privacy back and you're yeah. not gonna be in the middle of our business. Yeah. Um, you um, are an ex-boyfriend or girlfriend. You will not be in our future. Mm-hmm. Uh, you emotionally, physically, spiritually uh, crossed boundaries with me or my spouse. We're now having a closure conversation and the closure conversation is the talk to never talk again mm-hmm. and sometimes for bad to end and good to begin, there needs to be a funeral called the time of death, and there needs to be a closure conversation telling everybody what the new relationships and roles will be going forward. Yeah. So talk a little bit about closure conversations, because sometimes we're trying to move forward, but we're trying to take everybody from the past with us, which means all we're going to do is repeat the past.
1: Yeah, well, in marriage specifically, um, I think sometimes when we bring those past relationships with us, they aren't always healthy, and it it can be hard to have those boundaries because you feel bad. But again, prayerfully, we need relationships are what we need to steward, just like we steward our finances and and our gifts that God gives us. Relationships are a part of that, and and if we're prayerful about who God has in each season of our life, then that that'll be a flourishing season. Um, and it doesn't mean that there's not hardship in that, but if we are to evaluate our relationships in each season, I mean, there's people that I love from my past that just aren't a part of my, my current or my future for various reasons. They're in a different season of life. They're in a different, you know, area, location. You know, we just, sometimes you just grow apart and it's, it doesn't have anything to do with bad or good. It just is and you don't have things in common anymore, and that was a friend for that season, or that was someone in and some your life. Some people are bad, and some people are bad. There's those situations too, and I and there's plenty of those um, times that, but you need to assess what is this? Is this a relationship that is helping me walk with Jesus? Or that I'm helping them walk with Jesus in maybe a mentoring-type relationship. Um, But not every relationship is going to last a whole lifetime. And it doesn't mean that you have to be, um, like you said, bitter or there has to be division. There can be unity in that and you just are moving on. Um, But it's important to evaluate that in marriage because sometimes those relationships can keep us from being... Um, an attentive spouse um, to each other because we're so um, engaged in those past relationships that we're not moving into the new season that God has for
0: us. That's a brilliant insight. I never thought about it. But if Ruth would have brought Orpah she may have been so consumed
1: mm-hmm.
0: with Orpah's sexual dysfunction and sleeping around with guys and moving in with her boyfriend because that's what the Moabites did, she may not have had time and energy to grow in her faith and build a relationship with Boaz. Mm-hmm. She may have been so consumed by trying to save Orpah from Orpah. Yeah. And we've all got an Orpa somewhere in our life. Someone is in the process of self-destructing, and we're trying to be their savior. And it becomes a full-time job, and it inhibits and prohibits us from focusing on health and the future and our own marriage.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Ruth still cared about sure. Orpah and probably even prayed for her salvation. But... Orpa made her decision that she didn't want to move forward with God when she was faced with that decision. And she went back to her people instead of moving forward into a new life. And so we have to do that in marriage, you know, relationships outside of our marriage um, so that we can have a healthy marriage. Sometimes we have to say that person is making that choice. We can continue to pray for them. We don't need to, you know, despise them or criticize or condemn them, but we need to move forward, and if they're not moving forward, that's their choice. And, and we need to make our choice for a healthy marriage and healthy relationships going forward.
0: So we'll pick it up in the next podcast. We've got a study guide. It's an e-book. Help you learn. The book of Ruth we want you to be in God's word questions you can questions ask questions yourself. you can ask things you could talk about on date night it's free it's a mm-hmm. gift but in closing these would be the two questions that I would give to all the men and women the husbands and the wives and maybe even a good discussion for you to have with your spouse prayerfully and carefully mm-hmm. otherwise you're going to pull the grenade pin and it's <laughs> going to be an interesting date night but here's the two questions number 1 what needs to stop for them it was living in Moab yeah. and uh, just continuing with the old lifestyle it, what needs to stop and then number 2 who do you need to leave to move forward these two women had to leave Orpa behind and that was Orpa's choice they didn't abandon her she made her choice and they honored it but what needs to stop so that you can have a new beginning and who do you need to leave so that you can have a healthy future
1: mm-hmm.
0: we appreciate you we love you we're praying for it and we'll see you in the next podcast